spoils my lounging in the garden in the summer is the sight of a weed. Even in the nicest company, I've been known to drop to ground level and start yanking away at bindweed and dandelions. You're listening to The Science Show on Cambridge 105. In this section called Scientists at Work, we talk to people who, for some reason or another, find themselves working, researching or thinking about science in Cambridge, England. What is a weed, Chris? Is it a special kind of plant? (laughs) No, a plant is a plant is a plant. It just happens to be a plant you don't like growing in a particular place, such as the middle of your lawn. And what's the solution? Should I pull away at the flowers? Well, you could remove the flowers, which would help avoid the spread of weeds by getting rid of them um, before they're pollinated and to avoid the spread of seeds. But the problem is that plants can often regrow from their roots. So this is why these weeds can be so darn tenacious. One option is to use a chemical weed killer that kills all parts of the plants. And I'll talk a little bit about how they work and about some safer and less expensive alternatives. Yes. Well, I'd like to know why some weed killers claim to kill broadleaf weeds and not my grass. I mean, for example, if I spray the lawn and when the dandelions get the, the weed killer, they go, ah, you've got my eyes. <laughs> but when I get it on the, on the grass, the grass doesn't think anything has really hit it. <laughs> well, that's a great question, Roger. And that's because there are different types of plants and different types of weed killers or herbicides. And some of these herbicides can disrupt the biochemistry of all plants, while others are selective and give trouble to just certain kinds of plants. So really, first we need to figure out if you're trying to kill a plant that's different from the others in your lawn or garden. So what kinds of plants are we most likely looking at? Well, most of the plant species in the world belong to the flowering plant group called the angiosperms. And this group is divided into two types of plants, the monocots and the dicots. Now, the monocots are the crops and grasses that we're usually trying to protect from competition from the dicots, like broad-leaved herbs, flowers, shrubs, and trees. And there are a few tricks for distinguishing between the monocots and dicots. Plants, like animals, have veins, but they pump water instead of blood. And monocots tend to have veins in parallel, whereas dicots tend to have a net-like pattern of veins in their leaves. And Roger, if you hold up a leaf to the sun, you can actually Mm -hmm. see which pattern is there. And another trick is that you can look at the flowers of monocots because they tend to have parts occurring in groups of threes, whereas the dicots have floral parts in fours and fives. And one other trick you might use is that you can look at the number of leaves that first emerged from the seed. So monocots are so named because they send up one cotyledon, or baby leaf, whereas the dicots send up two cotyledons. Okay, from what you're saying, I think I'm trying to get rid of the dicots, which are the 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 dandelions which are invading the grass. I mean, what types of weed killer can I use for this? Well, there are two types of herbicides. Um, You could use a contact herbicide, which destroys only the plant tissue that's in contact with the chemical. And these tend to be really fast-acting, so if you're in a hurry, it's a good bet. But the problem is that they're not so effective at killing perennial plants, which are able to regrow from their rhizomes, roots, or tubers. So another option you might use is a systemic herbicide. And this is taken up by the plant, and it travels throughout its tissues, from the leaves down to the roots, or from the soil up through the roots to the leaves. And these are slower acting, but they are better for killing perennials that you don't want hanging around. Oh, yes, please. Give me some of that. (laughs) But what might I use and how does it work? 
Well, maybe the most common chemical would be 2,4-dichlorophenoxyacetic acid, Ooh. otherwise known as 2,4-D for short. And essentially, it's a synthetic version of a natural plant hormone called auxin that controls the growth and development of plant tissues. And 2,4-D has actually been around for a pretty long time, since about the 1940s, and was a main ingredient in napalm. And since then, it's actually become the most commonly used herbicide in the world. And wow. here's how it works. So as we've learned, broad-leaved plants, like your menacing dandelions, Roger, mm -hmm. are dicots. Mm -hmm. And dicots do not have a way to inactivate this 2,4-D internally. So when you spray it on their leaves or put it in the soil, it overstimulates their growth to the point that they lose proper functionality and die. In contrast now, the monocots, like your grass and many crop plants, these have the ability to inactivate the 2,4-D so the spray doesn't bother them at all. Okay, so that's why the dandelions die and the grass is completely happy. Well, maybe not completely happy because, to be most precise, there is new research from Purdue University that has shown that the roots of monocot crop plants, like corn for instance, can be affected by the application of 2,4-D and unfortunately it can cost farmers a pretty penny. So there's some kind of trade-off for, for using a weed killer? Yes, always a trade-off. You see, the roots of the plants and the root hairs specifically are responsible for taking up water and nutrients to make the nice, juicy and nutritive seeds that we like to eat. And there's a protein that hangs out on the root surfaces that's responsible for moving auxin, this growth hormone, into and out of the cells to maintain an optimal concentration for proper root hair growth. Unfortunately, what happens is that these crop plants absorb this synthetic auxin, the 2,4-D from the soil, through their roots, and it appears to lock this protein into a mode that only allows it to take up auxin and not get rid of it. Mm. So it just can't maintain the proper levels, and as a result, these plants just keep taking up 2,4-D, and they develop root hairs that are too short and become inefficient at taking up water and nutrients. And the fallout means that farmers who think that they're actually saving money by spraying this rather cheap 2,4-D herbicide are actually going to end up spending more money on additional water and fertilizer treatments. But, don't worry, fortunately researchers are now experimenting with 2,4-D resistant crop plants and ways of applying the herbicide to minimize exposure to roots because it is really a pretty handy and cheap herbicide. And um, what sort of tricks and tips would you have for putting on the herbicides? For, exa for example, I was reading that in the instructions that I shouldn't mow the lawn for a few days before and after spraying weed killer. What is the, why does this, uh, what's the difference there? Well, that's a really good point, Roger. So essentially, weeds with more surface area are going to take up the herbicide faster, which is why it helps to not mow before application. And likewise, you want to make sure you give enough time for the plant to absorb the herbicide, which is often sprayed on the leaves before chopping them off. So in the case of granular herbicides, too, you don't want to end up dispersing the granules with your lawnmower. So I would say it's best to give at least five days after your application before you start mowing. Okay. Now, what about the instructions for one weed killer I have? And it says that it's best to use it in spring for all summer weed, all summer long weed control, and then used again at the end of the season. I mean, why is there a best time for, to use a weed killer? Well, actually, it's important to spray the plants to prevent them from going to flower because you don't want more seeds to actually disperse the weeds further. Mm -hmm. So spraying in spring and fall is great for that. It says on, on the instructions, it says it works by stimulating growth at a rate that the weeds cannot s sustain. In effect, it causes the weed to grow itself to death. Uh, we mentioned that earlier. I mean, please explain how you can grow yourself to death. <laughs> 
Right. Well, like the 2,4-D, herbicides like Verdone Extra, they contain this synthetic auxin, which is a growth hormone, and it causes the rapid proliferation of cells that lead to dysfunctional proportions. For example, the leaves roll up and prevent them from capturing any sunlight. So the plant has to maintain a careful developmental plan, and these growth hormones in the herbicides essentially mess up this blueprint completely, and they can't function properly, and the plant dies. Okay. One extremely common weed killer we see a lot is called glyphosate. It's actually uh, an everything killer rather than just a weed killer, and it clears paths. I mean, how does that one work? Right. Well, another name for that herbicide is Roundup, and the glyphosate in that is an EPSPS inhibitor, which means that it prevents the proper functioning of an important enzyme called, are you ready for this? Mm-hmm. Enol pyruval shikimate 3 phosphate synthase. Oh, lovely. <laughs> And this is important because it occurs in all plants to synthesize amino acids, tryptophan, phenylalanine, and tyrosine. And because this enzyme occurs in all plants, this herbicide is nonspecific and will affect the grasses and dicots alike. Do you know, a friend of mine said that glyphosate is entirely harmless to humans. I mean, how can that be? Well, it's true that glyphosate is technically considered to have a low toxicity to humans, but there is mounting scientific evidence that herbicides containing this ingredient are damaging to humans, and they've actually been linked to birth defects and cancers in populations near spray areas. Okay, that's pretty scary for a lawn. So there's some drawbacks, definitely. It's true. The chemical weed killers, they can be really effective, but they do have a huge list of drawbacks. They're they're not only harmful to us humans, but they're also harmful to our pets and other wildlife. They can leach into our drinking water when it rains, kill fish and amphibians. They even cause algal blooms that kill marine organisms like corals. So with all these problems, we really do need to ask ourselves, is it worth using commercial weed killers? Well, fortunately, for those of us who take pride in our lawn and gardens, there are effective and safe weed killer options. Okay. Well, that's good to hear. What else might we use instead of them? Well, we do love our tea here in Cambridge, and a pot of boiling water is also super effective at killing weeds when poured directly over them. Essentially, what you're doing, Roger, is you're cooking them to death. It sounds mean, but it works. Just be careful not to pour it on the plants that you want to keep around and avoid burning yourself. And another trick, actually, that's really effective, you can use plain old white vinegar. Um, It's the same stuff that you buy at the grocery store. Essentially, it's a 5% concentration of acetic acid, and it's a really fast and effective weed killer. So you can just spray it directly onto them. And, oh, another tip, actually, would be to apply it on hot, sunny days when the plants take up more moisture, so they'll take up more of the vinegar, and you'll make sure that it won't get washed away by rain. Okay. I know someone who uses a carpet to kill weeds in his garden. I mean, how does that one work? Ah, well, most plants need sunlight to survive. Um, So one of the easiest and most effective methods of weed removal is to just block out their sunlight. And you can do this by simply applying layers of biodegradable newspaper or cardboard or wood that you have lying around um, or pieces of carpet, as you say, right on top of your weeds to block out the sun and kill them. And it doesn't matter about the pattern at all. (laughs) No, but you could be creative. (laughs) Okay, okay, okay. Suppose you want to completely remove all the plants from an area. Just... Wipe it clean. Ah, Right. Okay, well, if you're feeling especially destructive Mm -hmm. one day, what you could do is you could use plain old table salt dissolved in water. And this is because high concentrations of salt are really toxic to most plants. But I wouldn't recommend using this for your garden beds because the saline soil will prevent other things from growing. Actually, this is where the saying salting the earth came from because uh, salting the ground has long been a method of warfare to destroy crops and induce soil infertility. Okay, that'll foil the enemy. (laughs) What about um, physically removing them? Is that that the good way or the less good way? 
Well, I think it's fantastic. It's another cheap, safe, and really effective method. If you don your gardening gloves and pull weeds out from their roots, they won't grow back, and you can feel really good about not putting toxic chemicals into our soil and water. It helps, I think, to set aside about 30 minutes every week so you can get the weeds when they're still young and easiest to pull. Plus, Roger, you get the added benefit of exercise and fresh air. Oh, that's just what I need. <laughs> well, it was great to hear how they work, how weed killers work, or herbicides, as you like to call them in science, and especially about the sort of safer and cheaper ways to remove them. But I suppose you're going to tell me that you're not such a fan of lawns and we shouldn't have them? <laughs> well, I think everything has its place, and I, I do appreciate a good lawn. Um, but there's also the matter of whether we really need to bother removing all weeds in all cases. After all, Roger, what is a weed really? It's just another plant. And rather than us spending so much of our money, time, and energy trying to maintain these perfectly manicured lawns and garden beds, we might want to take advantage of the benefits of having a more wild garden with native plants. And native plants are especially great because not only are they really beautiful, but they're better adapted to the local environment, so they require much less care. And, you might not know, but many mm -hmm. weeds are even tasty. For example, your menacing dandelions. Okay. And they can even be useful in home remedies, too. But please don't try tasting anything if you're not absolutely certain of what it is because it's not safe. But who knows? Perhaps we might end up enjoying the benefits of having some weeds around. Well, like a, what, dandelion pizza? What other ideas do you I'll have? eat it if you make it. <laughs> okay. Well, that's what we'll do. Bye for now. That's pretty much all for today's show. Scientists at Work is made by the Science Show team on Community Radio, Cambridge 105. You can also find past episodes on the website, www.cambridge105.fm. You can also subscribe to future podcasts with the iTunes store. You can get in touch with us on the email science at cambridge105.fm or on Twitter at 105science. Till next time, it's bye from the Science Show team of Roger Frost and Chris Kreese. You're listening to The Science Show on Cambridge 105.